Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 119. Today we're discussing programs, concerts, and informances in elementary music. We'll also be talking about our highs and lows from the week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And we wanted to take a minute to give some updates about some presentations that Carrie and I have coming up. If you're in these areas, we would love to see you at uh, one of our sessions or workshops. We have a presentation for the Northern Plains Kodai chapter in Fargo, North Dakota on September 24th. And we are very excited to see our friends at NPKC. Yeah. What else do we have, Carrie? You get the next one. Yeah. So the next one we have coming up is in October, October 6th, 7th, and 8th. We're going to Alaska. We're very excited about this. The Alaska ORF chapter has invited us to present. It's like a, it's like a mini conference, really, because we're going to be presenting uh, Thursday evening, Friday evening, and then pretty much all day Saturday. And neither I can't wait. Yes. Yeah. Neither Tanya or I have ever been to Alaska. Wait, you haven't been to Alaska, right? I have. I have not been to Alaska. No. I'm so excited about that. I mean, what a great opportunity. So thank you to those folks for inviting us. And then I'll go ahead and mention the next one since it's just me. So um, I'll be doing a workshop for Northwest Kodai Educators and WKE in Seattle on November 5th. Right. And also we have coming up uh, for our home chapter here in Colorado, where we both live and teach the Regional Organization of Colorado Kodai Educators, also known as Rocky. We are doing a session for them November 12th in Fort Collins at Colorado State University. So if you're around any of those areas, we would love to see you. Please say hi. Um, we, we love to see anybody who's who's been listening and uh, that's just a great way to connect. Yeah, it's awesome. And if you are interested in having either Tanya or myself or us together, definitely reach out to us. Our email information is on our website, musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. Um, we'd love to come see you and share some things with you and your your music teacher friends. Exactly. And now, though, for our highs and lows from the teaching week, we are for sure back in the swing of things with the school year. The honeymoon is over. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, what you got, a high or a low, Carrie? Um, I'm going to go high. So I am very excited that I have started a choir at my school. Um, this elementary school, which is new to me, um, they had, you know, choir for many, many years with their former music teacher who retired. But then, of course, the last couple of years, because of COVID, it hasn't happened. So I'm very excited to bring it back for them, for me. Um, and I decided just to offer to fourth and fifth graders. And I have currently 45 kids in my choir, which I, I figured I would have a large group just because it's been something that's been around that school. But I still wasn't sure because these parts 
particular kids, some of them are like, what's choir? They didn't really even know what it was. But also, um, we have a very late day start. Like kids don't start, the bell rings at 8.45 in the morning. Um, so I think a lot of times when we offer things before school and I'm doing choir before school, you know, parents kind of sign their kids up for it, whether they want to do it or not. So I did have a few kids kind of say to me, well, what if our parents signed us up for choir, but we're really nervous about it or we're just not sure. And I said, hey, just give me a couple weeks. If you're really not enjoying choir, come and talk to me and, and I'll talk to your parents for you. Like, I don't want someone to be there that doesn't want to be there. But I will say I've had two um great rehearsals with them we are preparing for a, a veterans day concert coming up in november which is really a festival combining with other schools and um they sound great and i can't take credit for that because you know these were other people's music students before me but they sound fantastic and i just can't wait to to continue working with them and um just have a good strong choir program i'm just really excited about it that's awesome yeah how about you tanya well, um, I started choir as well, and that's going pretty well, but I'm just, uh, I'm going to go low a little bit because okay. uh, I've had classes this past week that have had substitutes for their homeroom teacher. Now is the time that all of the PLC work that the teachers do is gearing up. There's been many subs in the building, which is great that we have substitutes that come to our building. So, you know, that's wonderful. I am not complaining about that. Uh, what I am a little concerned about is the way students act at the school, in the hallway, just in general, is really like high energy, hyped up kind of, um, uh, they're, they're a little, um, how shall I say, noisy, rowdy, a little out of control. Mm -hmm. Like coming into the music room, when I see them in the hallway, even when they're not coming to me and, and it's just like, oh, they're going to lunch. And it's just, it's, it's extremely noticeable, right? Yeah. That, oh, okay. Well, I, I know that this particular grade, they all have substitutes. And so it's much noisier in the hallway and it's much more, you know, there there's a lot of behaviors that don't happen when their classroom teachers are there, which is frustrating because they bring that energy and that lack of focus into the music room. Yep. And I mean, I know how to deal with that in the music room. It just, it takes away of our time, right? 100%. And so there's like some refocusing and uh, some more mindfulness that I'm pulling in, which is, I can do that. It's just, boy, if this is like how they operate, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge, an extra yeah. challenge. And, um, being the only new person on the staff, I just don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to uh, ruffle any feathers. I don't know. I don't know how to deal with this beyond what I am doing in my room. And I guess the answer is I really can't have control of anything that happens except for in my room. It's just, is it frustrating, you know? Do you think it's because those particular subs are not able to keep a handle on things or do you think that's just the the overall feel of the building is when there are subs kids go berserk um it feels like the latter yeah. you know when the cat's away the mice will play kind of feeling and yeah i don't want to lecture anybody but 
I I don't know. I've talked briefly about integrity, about sure doing the right thing even when nobody's around. It matters. Um, I don't know. It's like I said. I I really don't. I don't want to go overboard, and um, I don't want to be a drag on. Uh, I, I understand that if I talk too much about reining it in and giving them tips or advice on like, okay, how do we get our energy in control that, that it just goes in one ear and out the other after a certain point. Sure. Probably. Um, I mean, I, I have found, and I'm sure you found this too, that in those situations, that's when like the routines and consistently that I've built in my own classroom really come into play because I can say to the students, you know, I know things might feel different outside of the music room, but right now in the music room, it's still me and it's still the expectations and here we go and just start making music. And well, yes. And I've had that exact conversation where I said, Hey, this is what we've set up. And to be fair, this is, we're talking the sixth time I've seen students, the right, seventh exactly. time I've seen students. <laughs> and so I know there's still a little bit of, we're still establishing how it goes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just the transition into the classroom and the time that it takes for them to go, oh yeah, the, <laughs> Miss Lejeune's not a sub and now we do the X, Y, and Z. And, and it's not all students, of course. Sure. It's just a handful of students who will rile the others up and yeah. um it's frustrating and, and they come late and you know there, there's just it's a little more chaotic i hear you yeah but this too shall pass let's hope yeah so now it's time for our main theme and today we are talking about programs, concerts, and informances. And I do just want to mention, we've talked about this before, but the conversation will be slightly different this time because we're definitely going to talk about kind of how to come at these things post-COVID world or still in COVID world. But you know what I mean? Like we're able to do these things again after not doing them for a while. So the conversation today will be different. However, if you want to hear us talking more about these things, um, way back in episode five, Tanya, such a long yes. time ago, we talked about concerts, programs, mini musicals, and informances. So you can always well, yeah. go back and get more. That was for almost five years ago. I oh, know. We're coming up to our five-year anniversary. I know. That's true. That's yeah. crazy. So yes. anyways, just so, wanted to mention that, um, you know. There might be some things that are repeated, obviously. Well, the world has changed, so yeah. and we like to evolve um, as well. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think that was a big, um, you know, motivator for this topic is, I mean, number one, if you haven't already planned your concerts for the year, you're probably doing that pretty soon here. And number two, this is a great opportunity to build new traditions. You know, Tanya and I both being at new schools ourselves um we understand the idea of when you go to a school and the music program before you always did a fifth grade musical or always did programs in first third and fourth grade or whatever and there's that pressure to like do what's been done before or even for yourself you know for a long time at the school I taught at for the first 15 years of my career I did end up doing a grade level performance for every grade and 
I, there were things I liked about it. I'm not going to lie. I, I really did enjoy doing programs. I enjoyed doing more programs with smaller groups of kids rather than a giant program with multiple grade levels. I knew I didn't want to do that. But I did get into this routine of every year, every grade. And then I was kind of stuck in that. So coming to a new school and especially coming out of these years where performances didn't happen at all for anybody, I think this is a really great opportunity to reevaluate what your uh, goals are, what your priorities are with, with program planning and to create new traditions. Most definitely. Yeah. And I've done both um, the very big, here's three grade levels, concert program, and I've also done, here's just one grade level concert or program. Um, it wouldn't be possible for me to get more than one grade level doing a performance because we would not be able to fit uh, yeah. families in the gym where we would be, we, we would be performing. And um, so, yeah, it's been a very long time since I've done a concert or a performance with every single grade level. Um, I did do that initially when I started in the district. And my principal sat me down at the end of the first or second year and said, let's not do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> she, she said, let's not have a grade level performance for every grade level. Let's do every other year where kids get to perform. And that was fine with yeah. me. And that's kind of where I'm landing on for this year. I mean, when I when I interviewed, I was told <laughs> that the fifth grade musical is a tradition that they really wanted to bring back. They did do a fifth grade musical last year, which was good because the teacher before me retired. So it was good that she had that opportunity to do one more. And she does. She did some big things. Um, she did, you know, Aladdin Jr. last year. So any of those Disney Jr. or Broadway Jr. things. Um, I did tell my principal I wasn't sure if I was committed to do that large of a production but we would definitely do something that resembles a musical um and this will likely be you know some sort of a quote-unquote canned musical um for lack of a better term just because that's what i know the community wants they want a traditional you know scripted choreography type thing um so i'm still debating exactly what show i'm gonna do and i i'm honestly waiting to find out how much more money i have in my budget because if i can do one of the broadway junior or broadway kids shows i might um i do need to make that decision really soon though and i'm just waiting to find out how much money i have but other than that i mean it was kind of free reign what i wanted to do. So I'm thinking this year I am going to do something for first grade and something for third. Here's here's where I get torn up is like I've done so many programs now in so many grade levels like I really love some of the programs I did. So if I'm committing myself to saying, "All right, I'm always going to do 1, 3 and 5," then like, "But wait, what about that awesome second grade program that I wrote that I really love?" So how what what are your thoughts on that, Tanya? Are you thinking you're going to do like every year it'll be this grade, this grade, this grade, and therefore every other year the kids get to perform publicly, or are you just going to kind of take it year by year? I'm going to take it year by year. Um, I know that pre-COVID, this school really embraced um, a fifth grade musical, usually a Broadway junior. Yeah. And I know the teacher before me and before that really loved doing those musicals. Um, and I have, uh, I'm not going to be doing a big fifth grade production this year. I'm not doing a concert or a performance with the fifth graders. However, 
Uh, they do have opportunities to join band or choir or orchestra. They will also have the opportunity to sing at a baseball game, the national anthem. They have um, a Colorado Symphony Orchestra field trip that the rest of the school does not. Well, fourth grade, I'm going to bring fourth grade as well. Um, so there's lots of things that the fifth graders get to do um, that other grades do not. Uh, when they do field day, there's going to be auditions to sing the Star Spangled Banner at the start of field day. That's only going to be fifth grade. And my big thing this year is that the fifth graders will be writing the school song. Right. Yeah. So this is kind of how I qualify. Well, fifth grade have lots of opportunities. Um, and I'll be honest, I am getting to the point in my career where when I'm spending a lot of outside time and energy and um, it, it's affecting my day-to-day -day life. Yeah. And in our district, we are not paid to do choir. Right. Not a stipend, not a, not, not anything. And that's frustrating. And, I, and I'm doing choir. I, I want to do choir. I'm not doing a full year of choir. And choir is an extracurricular uh, outside of school. And it's not the time with the students that is that, that eats away at me or that is um, causing issues. It's the time choosing music, ordering music, organizing notes to go home, um, organizing the t-shirts that are going to be like, it's all that extra clerical right. stuff. Yeah. That's what takes my outside time and that frustrates me. Um, and it also, it eats into me being my best to do my primary posi position, my primary job, which is to do the best I can with every student every day as they come to music class. Yeah. So I'm getting a little bit, and, and right now, this time of year is not the best time of year to talk to me about this kind of thing because- <laughs> We're I'm in the really, thick of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the thick of it and I'm really feeling the stress, mostly because I'm in a new building and there's new norms and new expectations. Um, and a lot of the norms are unspoken and that's nobody's fault. I'm not saying that somebody should have sat me down and said, well, I, I did sit down with the principal and learned a lot of the norms, but there's always more that uh -huh. you don't get to know until, until it's happening. Right? right. So there's like a fundraiser coming up called teacher sweepstakes that, that teachers have to give time to, which is fine, but it wasn't the time. It was that I had to make a video advertising this and it's just all these extra things that are not just eating away at my time but eating away at me like i i had a week last week um with meetings that i'm signed up for a committee for um with extra meetings that i agreed to do and it's only a one time this school year meeting anyway things are just coming to a head where as much as i'm trying to budget my time well with choir twice a week at 7 15 a.m and with all the prep that went into that and and the meetings that i've been attending and some extra expectations um i'm not feeling very generous with and now i'm going to sign up to do a performance with every single grade Right. Um, sometime because it does take extra time. It exactly. takes a lot of extra time. And as far as the fifth grade, you know, that'll probably be something that comes back. 
Um, but I, I'm not really a fan of stopping the world to do Broadway Junior. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of how I'm feeling about it too, is, um, anytime I've done a musical in the past, it's been an extracurricular thing, like in place of choir, like I did choir the first semester and then second semester, the time I would have done in choir is a musical that kids audition for, and then they choose to come to. Um, cause I, I tell you what, I already have fifth graders who are saying to me, do I have to be in the musical? And so, you know, my response to them is, well, you know, we'll find a, a role you feel comfortable with. And so, no, I'm not going to force every single kid to be on stage. I'm going to have students um, apply for or whatever to be, you know, techies in the back or run the soundboard or, you know, do some of those backstage jobs, too, because those are viable artistic careers as well, you know, help build the sets, help with costumes For and props. Sure. Um, so that's right. the stand I'm taking. And then what I will probably do is whatever the finale is, like we'll all learn the very last song and everyone will come on stage for the last song because I think it's important that they be visible, but they can be in their black techie t-shirts. You know what right. I mean? Like, so that's kind of where I'm at. Again, it depends on the show, but yeah. Also, I mean, that age is, you know, I mean, just getting them to participate joyfully in musical activities sometimes can be a struggle, but we're sure. able to do it through the inclusion of instruments and, you know, all of these fun things. When it's just like, hey, kids, you're all going to do a Broadway show. I, I just don't know how all kids can buy into that. And I don't also want to force them to buy into that. So, right. And I understand. I get it. I, I definitely feel torn about wow, I really want the kids to have this opportunity. I really want them to feel what it's like to do a show and be on stage. But like you were saying, you know, not all kids want that. Yeah. And I'm all for it. Even having kids as techies and having kids like build things, that's, that's extra too. Yeah. And show me in the music curriculum. Yes, in the music curriculum, there's exploration of other careers. But does that mean it's going to take up, I don't know, what do you say, four weeks? Yeah. Should that part of the curriculum take the four weeks? Exactly. And who is it for? Is it really for the students or is it for parents to get a good picture yep. to put on social media? And like I said, right now, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> feeling too, um, yeah, I'm not feeling too willing to to give even more, more and more and more time. Um, especially not being compensated and frankly, even being compensated. I, I think it's my age, honestly, there used to be a time where it'd be like, okay, well, I've got a 12 hour day, day tomorrow and that's okay. I'll just push through. It'll be fine. And then, you know, I would treat myself to like, oh, you know, um, I will pack an extra fun dinner or something for the time that I the short amount of time that I have after school and before whatever event. And, and I used to be okay with it, but it's taking its toll now, right now. Yeah. Um, I don't feel I, it the next day I'm having a hard time feeling rested. I'm getting a lot of headaches. Um, it's stressful and time is not a renewable resource. Totally. So, and so what, tell, what was the question you asked initially oh. <laughs> before I dumped? So what um, are you doing at this, as, as of this moment in time, what programs are you planning on doing this year? How many oh, okay. grades? Yeah. Sorry to be cagey. Um, right now I have scheduled a first grade singing games 
night at a third grade performance in the spring that will include recorders and singing. Um, I have a fourth grade Colorado concert. So stick a pin in that and we'll talk more later um, about Colorado concert. Um, and I have yet to finalize, but I probably will do a second grade uh, performance. So, so you are doing quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And are. choir and I'm doing choir, but I'm going to be ending choir at winter breaks. So we do a, an area festival where we sing with the other elementary school choirs in the area, plus the middle school, plus the high school. And then we're going to do a downtown performance, downtown Denver, uh, for choir in December and then goodbye to choir. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a Whitman sampler of choir. Um, so that's four five, six performances yeah. throughout the year. Okay. And um, I don't have anything scheduled with first grade. And part of that is that I share first grade with another music teacher who comes in as a traveling teacher. Mm -hmm. And we are collaborating on um, the kindergarten singing games night. And we're collaborating on the third grade recorder performance. And so just also I'm, I'm trying to stick up for my traveling teacher who's coming in because that's a lot on her. Yeah, totally. To expect her to do three performances. So anyway, so that's what I am doing right now. Six performances, um, a, a couple of grade levels, grade level one, uh, grade first grade and fifth grade who don't have a very specific, this is only fifth grade performance. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's talk about, since we both kind of expressed our opinions on canned musicals or organized musicals and the amount of time those take to teach and implement in your classroom, let's talk about alternatives. Let's talk about alternatives. <laughs> yeah, because you and I are big fans of doing programs that are um, a more representative of what you do in your day to day classroom and B are are more high quality as far as like the buy in from the kids and um, yeah just, uh, you know, programs that you create yourself is really what we're trying to get. Yes, at. So, and I, I believe in performances that are organic that come from what's already happening in the music room. It should represent what we've been doing in the music room. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So let's talk about just the idea of putting together a good old concert and ways that you can do that. Right. And I know we had this discussion back in episode five yeah. about vocabulary. And I know I talked probably too much about how I prefer the word concert or performance or mini musical or informants rather than the word program. That's just a personal choice. I just think we need to elevate the idea of kids performing no matter what age they are. Yeah. And I think calling it, if it's like thematic, like the Colorado concert that I'll be doing with the fourth graders, I'm gonna call that Colorado concert. Number one, you got the alliteration and who doesn't love that? Well, sure. But also I want them to feel like this is a performance, a concert, we are, performing our music um and the word program i don't think conveys enough specialness frankly sure. yeah i hear you but i know it's I a personal choice yeah i don't have an issue with it but i i can see where you're coming from for sure um, yes. So, yeah, so I mean, really, it's just a matter of coming up with some sort of a theme. I think oftentimes, you know, something that is 
related to the season of the year is great. I will say I stay away from holiday programs um, mm -hmm. or holiday concerts. I don't do a Christmas program and I, I won't. I absolutely won't. And that's that is something that I will defend for a long time. Um, you know, I mean, you've got the issue of inclusion and you've got <laughs> the issue of, you know, elevating one religion over others. It's just I'm not going to go there. And that doesn't mean that we don't sing some, you know, traditional Christmas carols in music class here and there or as part of my choir experience, but it's not something I'm going to elevate to the point of a concert. Um, right. I've done lots of winter programs, however, and you can take songs like Walking in a Winter Wonderland. Well, maybe not that one because that one does talk about um, Eskimos and, and we're avoiding that now. So that's not a oh, good yeah. example, um, <laughs> but you, let, it let it snow. There you go. Let it snow is a great example of, you know, something, you know, you can find songs that aren't necessarily Christmas that are just more about winter and you can include those in a winter program, spring programs as well, fall, if you want to do something earlier in the year. So um, just having a theme and um, you could have students write poetry or you could find poetry. That's something that I've often done as a filler in between songs because um, it's nice to have the students doing something not only does it lengthen your program but it gives them a break so it's not music 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 the whole time um yeah so just having a thematic concert is really fun like tanya mentioned colorado history is a really big thing here in colorado so for us doing a colorado theme program makes a lot of sense too have you done on the other specific thematic programs you want to give a shout out to yeah i'm a, i'm a fan of spring yeah. You know, um, doing spring themed, that's wonderful because there's so much music and you can talk about other uh, places in the world. You can talk about Cherry Blossom Festival in Japan and bring in some songs from there. And so it's kind of nice to do a spring concert that touches on other regions in the world. So I, I love that theme. Um, Beyond that, let's see, I love seasons. I've done definitely winter and um, Colorado. Well, and I think it's worth mentioning yeah. it's okay just to do a concert of just really great songs and your theme is music. It's like what we've talked about mm -hmm. for our classroom decor as well. It's okay that your theme is music and these are just like favorite songs from the music room, but maybe you dress them up with some great ORF arrangements or have yes. students playing ukulele or recorder combination of those things. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with just having a musical celebration. And that I have done weather. That also oh weather cute yeah, yeah because there's so much rain yeah and wind and snow and sunshine yeah. yeah so that's a fun unit i think i've done that um with uh trying to correlate with the weather unit in second is it second grade or first grade i'm sorry I i'm not sure but there is some one of those grade levels does a whole big winter not winter excuse me uh weather all about weather cute yeah yeah awesome um along those same lines both you and i ha are fans of creating your own musical or i yeah. just call them mini musicals um that does take time and effort uh as far as the time and effort i kind of find it enjoyable to do <laughs> to create my own musical i i'm a lot more happier giving away my extra time sitting down and creating a musical than i am sitting down and or ordering choir octavos i'll tell you that yeah um that 
and, and I've reused things as well. Totally. Uh, you can take a musical and create something from a book, which is very handy to do. So if there's a book that they have elevated in their own classroom, that they have read, that they're attached to, you can take that text and you can add songs. Um, some examples of this are The Mitten, the Jan Brett book. And this is a story where there's a, a mitten found in the forest and different animals. It's wintertime and different animals, they're so cold, so they climb into the mitten. And so another animal comes in and climbs into the mitten. Um, and animal songs, there's just so many of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, along the same animal theme, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I actually have a copy right here of baby bear, baby bear, what do you see? That I haven't done a mini musical of. I have done brown bear. Um, and the baby bear book is fun because I'm looking and I'm seeing that they have blue heron. Um, they have red fox. So I'm thinking fox when added in chilly night. They have flying squirrel ooh, so many oh, squirrel songs so many squirrel hopple songs. squirrel or let us chase the squirrel mountain goat we could go hmm. places with that blue oh i said that one prairie dog i don't know any prairie dog songs but oh. uh, you know. but we've also we we ta i know we talked about this in that that episode five of the idea of you know taking a familiar folk song and it's okay, I say, for the sake of a uh, a musical, a program, a performance to maybe change some words. Um, you know, so for example, I was doing a program um, and there was a rooster and I, I changed Here Comes a Bluebird to Here Comes a Rooster. And, you know, the kids knew the song is Here Comes a Bluebird, but I told them for the performance, we're going to change it to Here Comes a Rooster. And when the performance is done, we'll change it back to Here Comes a Bluebird. Um, you know, I, it's not changing the integrity of the history of the song. I didn't feel like I was passing down some weird variant. And you didn't want to do Let's it back the... again. You didn't want to do Let's Put the Rooster in the Stew? No, that's a little bit. Although, for this particular <laughs> program, it was the Bremontown Musicians, and they do talk about making a stew for the rooster. So that actually would have been appropriate for that story. But um, no, I just changed it. Because, again, I wanted it to be a song that they already knew, and it was second grade, and Here Comes the Bluebird is the song I already do in second grade. Anyways, that's, that's all to say. You can, I believe, take some liberties with changing animal names or whatever and, and make it cute and funny for the kids. They know you're doing it, um, but just make sure they know you're doing it as well. Right. And even if you don't have a song and you don't want to adapt a song, you could take just the idea of of an animal like prairie dog and you could have kids brainstorm adjectives you could turn it into an orf arrangement uh -huh. where they're doing a word chain of adjectives um, and they have an a section and a b section we could put easy orf arrangement to it i mean they could create their own short little piece with that specific animal or thing, you know, if you are yeah. not able to adapt. Yeah, so a couple of books that I've had success with in this way, I've done a program with The Very Hungry Caterpillar. That was a cute one for, for first grade. Um, I did one with um, Where the Wild Things Are. And I know Aileen Miracle has, um, has done one as well. And she sells that product, I believe, on TPT or somewhere where you can purchase it. I um, so. But I... I created my own of where the wild things are. Um, yeah, it's just, I think, especially for primary grades, it's just so fun to find a really great picture book and just find some some music. And then 
what I typically do at that age is I ask the classroom teachers to help narrate the story. Yes. So I don't necessarily even have kids doing it, you know, especially first grade, maybe by second grade when you might be ready to do it. But it's just so nice to have the classroom teachers involved. And then, you know, it just helps it run smoothly when an adult is narrating the story. You, you took mine, Carrie, because I was going to talk about from a folktale. Oh, and yeah. I was looking back at um, some of the things I've done and thinking about second grade and we did the little red hen years ago and that's the story of the little red hen who asks for help making the bread and all the other animals are like nope can't help can't help and then at the end she says but who will help eat the bread and then they all want to quote help but anyway yeah. so for little red hen i had narrators um those were the classroom teachers and that was just so fun because the students especially loved having their teachers as part of it. Yes. And a principal doing that as well is oh, yeah. a wonderful thing to include. That's a great idea. I also wanted to give a shout out for um, like readers theater, printed readers theater resources. So oftentimes in like whatever reading curriculum your school has, oftentimes there are readers theater pieces that are included, which are plays essentially that the students would just typically read in their classroom as plays. But I found some really great ones. Um, for example, there was a really great Pecos Bill readers theater um, that was in uh, the third grade reading curriculum. It was like a McGraw-Hill curriculum. And that was a really fun one to turn into a, a mini musical because I could do all these different kind of cowboy themed, Western themed songs. And uh, that was a really fun one. And then I didn't have to write the dialogue because it was already there, ready to go. So definitely ask your classroom teachers if they have some readers theater resources in their room that they're already doing and see if you can create a, a, a concert out of that. Totally. Yeah. And along those same lines, um, let's talk about informances. Yeah. Um, I My singing games night I consider an informance, and I know I've talked a lot about this, and I've given presentations and sessions all about the singing games night, and it's simply an opportunity for uh, families to do some of the things that we do in music class. And I typically gauge this um, for kindergarten families and or first grade families and it's not a everybody come and sit down and watch the kids it's everybody come and participate and there's an opportunity for me to write a brochure and saying okay so we played no bears out tonight and here are the things that we are learning with that musically and here are the things socially here's some social skills that are happening with this song or game um, and then that's always been a fun night um, families always tell me that they look forward to it if they've done it in the past with older kids and it's just always been very successful and like I've always said it feels chaotic while it's happening but it's always a um, a successful informants yeah I did something kind of like that but it was more of like a, I led the students through a, a typical music class but it was shortened you know it was only 20-25 minutes and this was at a time where I had 
a very small first grade group. So I want to say when I put them all together, there was no more than 50 of them. And so what I did is I had them, we did this in the gym and I had them sit in one giant circle in the gym. And then I set up chairs in a giant circle around them, I think in two rows. Um, so it was kind of a theater in the round, but it was a music class in the round. And I led them, the students through it. And we had practiced a couple times prior. So the students knew what we were going to do, but it really wasn't like a rehearsed thing. So, you know, I led them through an opening song, through a singing game, but then there was an opportunity where we were going to do um, a rhythm composition with like the little one inch rhythm cubes, the little, you know, one inch wooden blocks where I wrote ta, tt, and rest on the, on yeah. the three sides, on the six sides. So I said, go and find, you know, one grown up or one family member you want to come and have work on this with you. So they went and invited an adult and the adult came and sat on the floor with them and everybody wrote a little rhythm and obviously we didn't share out because there were 50 kids, but just so the parents could see something hands-on. Um, so that was really fun. And then, yeah, we did invite the parents to play one singing game with us at the end. So it was kind of a combination. It was like, sometimes the parents were watching and sometimes they were participating. Um, right. And I thought that, that that was really well received. And the other thing that I loved about that is I did that right after school. So I told the parents um, it worked out well because this particular year, first grade was the last class I had in the day. So I had them come into the gym, I had them get settled, and then when the bell rang, the parents came in and they watched us and then they took their kid home. So it was basically like they took their kid home 30 minutes later than they normally would have. And right. that I loved because it didn't mean we all had to come back later in the evening and oh, was when, when are we going to eat dinner and oh, what's going to happen? You know, it was just right after school. It was very informal. Um, and I remember trying to tell this idea to my principal at the time and really having to sell him on it. And once he saw it, he was like, that was fantastic. But huh. that was the last program I did. And um, I want to say that was like November of 2019. So that was the last thing I did before <laughs> the world really shut down. So that is what I'm thinking I'm going to do perhaps with my first graders this year, although space is going to be an issue. So I might have to do like two groups or even I don't know I have to figure this out but I really liked that it was like here's what music class is like and parents can participate with us for some of the time right that's awesome yeah um can we talk a little bit about when you are putting together performance uh what kind of guidelines you have as far as who gets to play instruments who mm. gets the talking parts who does that how do you handle that so yeah, so I typically try to have like a moment where each class um, gets to do something special. So if I've got three classes in a grade level, then each class will get to do something. So that something special could be playing instruments and playing some sort of ORF ensemble while everybody else sings, um, or it could be they get to come down and do the singing game or the folk dance that goes with the song. Um, so some kids play instruments, some kids get to quote unquote dance, you know, it might be doing bow wow wow or something like that in a circle. Um, but I like having a moment where every kid at some point gets to step down off the, the risers or whatever you use and come to the front and do something special. Um, when it comes to speaking parts for older kids, I usually work collaboratively with the classroom teachers on that. And I ask the classroom teachers to give me a list of like, hey, give me 10 kids in each of your classes of kids who are confident readers and kids who, in your opinion, would enjoy this. And then based on the list they give me, I also choose students who are also students who are um, 
you know, really willing to to take on leadership roles in the music room. So I, I do appoint kids. I don't necessarily have auditions for those parts. Um, the only exception are like solos. If there's an actual vocal solo, I will have students audition for that. But for speaking parts, I just pick. And um, I will say I haven't gotten a lot of backlash from parents. I know some people work in communities where parents are like, every single kid better have a speaking part. Um, I don't think that's realistic. I don't know my community right now if I will get backlash if I don't make it a more, I don't know, auditioned process, but that's what I've done in the past. How about you, Tanya? So I've done it both ways where I have asked classroom teachers, hey, give me a few names of kids who are really um, good at narrating, good at speaking, and who would enjoy this opportunity. And I've done that where I've appointed kids, but I've also left it up to chance where the class will come in. We've been really working on, I don't know, Rocky Mountain High, and I have, say, 10 instrument parts, um, and then this many slots of kids who will perform the game or the movement or the dance, and then I have two or three speaker parts, and generally... Um, and then I like do a the wheel of names or the Idokio random picker. And when you come up, you tell me what part you want. And I have noticed that the kids who choose to do the speaking parts generally are very good at it. Mm -hmm. um, and then when there's been, I'm only thinking of one instance where a child chose to do a speaking part and they they were not the strongest but then we just kind of work on that mm -hmm. and I give that speaking part a hard copy with them so they can practice it and so that's kind of a they rise to the occasion to do that in the concert so I think in the future I'll do it um luck of the draw again yeah where kids sign up and if they're signing up for it, it must mean they want to do it and if they're not um awesome at it from the get-go it's okay because they'll work to get there yeah and i've typically told the kids and it's worked out well that the time that they come in and work on those speaking parts is outside of music class time and it's typically during their recess time so yeah. it's kids who are motivated enough that they're like oh yeah it's worth it for me to miss recess a few times to come in and do this special job if a kid is like no i don't want to miss recess then that's fine enough kids yeah. do so that also kind of helps read about um i don't know if my schedule allows that this year but that's worked out in the past too is right. making sure they know that means taking some extra time to to learn those parts. Exactly. Yep. So I think the the moral of the story here is don't be afraid to to think outside of the can, the canned musicals, and yeah. uh, don't be afraid to to write your own, to get creative in a way it's easier. And I, like you mentioned earlier, sometimes it sounds harder and yeah, it can be time consuming to, to create something from scratch. But if you're using songs and activities that you're already doing in class and just dressing it up for the stage in the long run, that's a lot less preparation time as far as during music class. And I personally have found that the kids have found those types of experiences more meaningful than the hey let's stop doing our normal music class and learn this random thing so yeah totally and now it's time for our no better do better segment and carrie tell us what should we know and do so this goes along the lines of 
always trying to be as specific as possible with students when you are talking about where music comes from in the world. You know, in the past, I might have said to my students something like, this song comes from Africa, and now I know better, and I do better, and I tell my students which country, which region, which dialect is being used, you know, and it's something that we're all working on, I know. So I just want to give a shout out to a tool that has been really helpful in this, and that is good old Google Maps or Google Earth. Um, it's gotten to the point now where I have those things bookmarked in my my Chrome browser and anytime, you know, whether it's planned or an off the cuff conversation I'm having with my students about a, a piece and where it comes from in the world, I immediately hop on there and, you know, it defaults to, it pulls up the map of where you live. So it shows the little star of where we are in Colorado in the United States of America. And then from there I zoom out and we travel across the world and then I zoom way in on the place we're talking about. So an example, and this just came up this last Last week, I was doing um, the dance, the chimes of Dunkirk with my third graders. I love to do that one with third grade. And in the past, I would just say, this comes from France. And there's nothing like wrong with that. It does come from France. But how cool was it that I got on Google Earth and I specifically zoned in and I showed them where Dunkirk was on the map specifically. And it was interesting in that particular topic because the way I introduced the music was, Tanya and I, you always, you always talk about how important it is that students hear the music of a dance before we get up and start dancing. So I wanted them to hear the music a little bit and get a flavor of the piece and where those claps and stomps were gonna go. So my good old opening question is typically, listen to this music and try to identify where in the world you think this music comes from. And so I played the music for them and a lot of them guessed England and Ireland. And so then when I showed them on the map, how close actually France is to England and Ireland. And does it surprise you that you thought, you know, oh, that made sense to them. And they were like, oh, that was a connection that they made that those musics sounded similar, even though they're different countries. So anyways, I just wanted to give a shout out to Google Map, Google Earth, and the ability to, you know, virtually fly across the world, zoom in and really show your kids specifically these places you're talking about. Yes, excellent. And now it's time to work smarter, not harder. And Tanya has a little tip or nugget of genius for us or whatever you want to call it. Well, let's not get too crazy. It's not <laughs> genius, but it's just kind of um, something that I like to do in the school year so we've been talking about concerts and programs, and maybe you know now you have a body of songs that you're going to do for a performance in the future, and it's always a good idea to maybe start learning one or two songs right now that you're going to be performing in a few months. And you can take those songs and you can do things in the classroom with them that relate to what you're focused on, whether it be a rhythm rhythmic or melodic. I mean, this time of year, it's wonderful to do like beat versus rhythm activities with repertoire that you might not be pulling out specific melodic or rhythmic concepts from. Um, so I'll, an example I'll give is I Love the Mountains. This is a song that I'm going to be doing with fourth grade when we do our Colorado concert in April. Um, right now I'm doing it because I want to get us used to adding ostinato 
and singing in a canon or around. And so we're going to be singing I Love the Mountains coming up for my next rotation. And usually, usually kids love this song. And then in April, when we start talking about our Colorado concert and music, this will be one of the first songs that I go, oh yeah, remember that one? We're going to be going back to this. So I just think of it as we're planting seeds now for what we're going to really gussy up and perform later. And now it's time for our CODA section, where we talk about something that we have been enjoying in or out of the classroom. Carrie, what do you have? I'm going to talk about something in the classroom, finally. Yay. Um, so we know on YouTube, there are a million bajillion uh, rhythm play-alongs, different instrumental play-along videos, which are great. And I want to mention specifically- Not all of them are great. Exactly. So <laughs> yes, this is what I want to mention. I really have become a fan of a particular channel and I want to give a shout out to Elementary Groove Tracks. I don't oh. know if we've specifically called out this one before. Um, here's what I like about it. So I, I had to be gone um, a couple weeks ago or a week ago. I, I attended a wedding, so I was gone and um, I was leaving sub plans and I didn't know who was going to sub for me. Lo and behold, it ended up being the, the music teacher who retired. <laughs> ended up being my sub but I didn't know that so I had to leave plans that anyone could do and I love to leave in Google Slides a variety of things including a play along so what I like about these is that he is playing and saying along with the syllables so the particular one I left is an autumn themed rhythm play along where there's acorn for TT and leaf for ta so he is in the video saying and playing acorn acorn leaf leaf or whatever and I really think especially for sub plans it's really great to have that model of like what they should be saying and where because I'm not sure that kids intuitively are going to get that and and who knows if the sub is going to intuitively get that. So anyways, I just appreciate his play along videos. I think they're they're fun, they're engaging. And then there's always something cute. So like in this um, autumn theme one, there was a little owl that popped up and started playing a tubano and the kids just thought it was the cutest, funniest thing. And he does have a store where you can purchase um, materials that accompany his play along videos. I personally have not used the store, but it looks intriguing. And I definitely um, think his products are of good quality from what I could tell. So elementary groove tracks on YouTube. I'll link to his channel in the show notes. Cool. All right, Tanya, how about you? Okay. Um, mine is definitely out of the classroom and it kind of goes along with a, um, uh, something I have mentioned several months. Well, even years? I don't know. Uh, so Hannah Gadsby is a comedian who has a couple of comedy specials that are available through Netflix. But the one that made a big splash was um, Nanette is the name of her comedy live Netflix show. And um, she is Australian and she is from Tasmania, state of Australia. And uh, she is just amazing. She's a comedian, but to say the show Nanette is a comedy show would not be entirely accurate because she does get political. Um, she does talk about um, toxic masculinity. She does talk about the patriarchy. Anyway, um, and so I have mentioned this before as it's just a fantastic 
if nothing else, it's a fantastic think piece. It is funny, but it's not really a comedy show. And so recently she came out with a memoir called 10 Steps to Nanette, A Memoir Situation. And she really kind of breaks down why she wrote this piece and what she was thinking. But she also talks about her experience growing up as um, a lesbian in Tasmania, where they did not um, legalize homosexuality until 1997, which doesn't seem that long ago. Um, Anyway, and also she had has been diagnosed as autistic in her adulthood. And she talks about that in a very interesting way that I really appreciated, you know? Um, Anyway, it's a fascinating book. I listened to her reading it on Audible, um, the audiobook of it, which was wonderful. And I also rewatched Nanette a couple of times. Um, And it's just, it's fascinating. It could be for you. It could not be for you. It seems to be a polarizing um, she seems to be a polarizing comedian, but I really appreciate her work. And uh, it was fantastic to read the memoir, see the show again. Um, and her next comedy special on Netflix, um, Douglas, which is named after her dog, is also very entertaining. Cool. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link in our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.